Hi, I'm Angie Wisdom, and welcome to my podcast, Sharing Wisdom. I'm an author and a keynote speaker and a master certified coach. And for the past 25 years, I've sat across the table from fascinating people, helping them break through their obstacles to achieve success in their life and business. The one thing I've learned and believe to this day is that you are capable capable of change, capable of greatness, capable of anything you're willing to get serious about. And I want to help you get there. That's why I'm sharing all my wisdom and interviewing some of the most successful business leaders and athletes in the world so they can share their wisdom too. So get present and ready to learn. Welcome to Sharing Wisdom. Hello and welcome to another episode of Sharing Wisdom. I'm your host, Angie Wisdom, and today we have a really special treat. I feel like the only introduction I need to say is he was named as one of the top five performance coaches by USA Today. Ben Newman, welcome. Angie, thank you so much for having me. I I think of uh, Stephanie making the introduction to you and I, and then we're at the same event in Denver, and you come running out of the hotel. I knew it was you going to get your workout in. We both said hello, even though we'd never met in person, and it was just this great energy and synergy that's continued, so very excited to be on the show. Yes, I'm happy to have you here. I love that you brought up the workout part because I was going outside, and I was like, oh, there's this group of guys out there, and they're working outside. I wonder if they're doing you know, 75 hard, too, because I was in that phase, and I was like, I wonder if they're doing this outside you know, workout, and then as soon as you said my name, I was like, oh, my gosh. So, yes, it was uh, good to connect there and be able to kind of build from here and talk more about what we have going on. That, that I have to say was like huge points for me with somebody else who's a coach because as you know in the world that we live in, you know, a lot of people say that they want to be the example and be the example. But from having read your book and seeing you that early morning for that workout, it was still dark outside, let me say. Yeah. <laughs> like, you, you believe what I believe, which I know makes a unique connection for us as coaches because I think we have to be that example for people. Yeah, it's so true. And I'm I'm thinking about actually, I think it was Tim Grover who did an endorsement on your book, The Standard, and he actually wrote, you know what I mean? You just don't teach excellence, you actually live it. And that's huge for coaches. And and I don't think that most people really understand that you should be working with a coach that actually embodies what they teach and living to that standard or that place of excellence. And I, if I could just add, add on this, I know we're yeah. going down a direction that probably I know the intend to start, but I think it's important because I'm sure there are so many people, because I know it's the same for me and I know it is for you, who want to become coaches as well, because there aren't a lot of people for the longevity in which you've been a coach and the level in which you coach right there. So people want that. You can't just get caught up in the title. You know, being a coach mm-hmm. these days is like this hot buzzword. Oh, I'm going to go into coaching. And it's like, but don't just get into coaching for the title. Like you right. actually have to do it for the right reasons and the passion. If it's ever going to work out for you, don't go try to chase money with coaching. Money is a byproduct of doing things the right way over a long period of time and helping people get the things that they want by allowing them to take ownership through coaching has always been my belief system. Yeah, absolutely. Like, I, I love this conversation. I feel like we could go down a whole road with this. I want to take open that. up a Sorry. can of worms there. <laughs> but I do. I really, really do love it. That's another conversation. But I introduced you um, as what USA Today just recently put out as 
about you being one of the top five performance coaches, um, which congratulations, that is a huge acknowledgement and accomplishment there. But I don't want to just stop at that. I mean, you are, um, you know, a top speaker. You've got a couple of books out, The Standard, which I really want to get into today. You are a coach, not only to people in their business and, and their life and success, but also on the sidelines of for many football teams as well. And it, it, I'll tell you, it's all uh, another coach who's a friend of mine. It's amazing how in this world, like we all need each other. And a lot of times yes. people don't realize that, like iron sharpens iron. Another friend of mine, I'm, I'm going to be at uh, one of his events. And that's a foreshadow for more that I, I know you and I'll talk about. But I'm going to be at one of his events later next year where he's invited me to be a speaker. And I took a picture when I walked into the stadium on Saturday and it was a picture. Just I say this very humbly, but my locker and it has my name and it says performance coach. And and he's just like, man, like, that's really cool. And I said, I never take it for granted. You know, mm. every opportunity, whether it's with an NFL player, whether it's to go into my locker at a stadium, which I never when I started doing coaching, thought I would have something like that to the individuals that I work with in the business world. It is such a blessing to be welcomed into people's lives. And so I appreciate you mentioning those things. But for me, it's really the relationships that drives everything. Absolutely. And, and it is a blessing. Um, I often say I feel, you know, almost guilty for how blessed we are to be in this position to, like you said, have this relationship with people, be a part of their life, their journey and see what they're really capable of. Definitely a blessing there. But um, I do want to talk a lot about your book, The Standard. I was going through it. I mentioned I was going through it again last night, reading my highlighted pieces that I love so much. And the burn part, you know, I mean, you talk about the burn and I know that's not the emphasis of the book, but it's so important, I believe, to get people to start there. And even when I met you in Denver and we talked about it, I was like, you know, how do you get people to find this burn? Because that's often a question we get, I believe, as coaches is like, am I looking for the why or what keeps me fired up? What keeps me motivated? And you refer to it as the burn. Can you talk a little bit more about that? Absolutely. So I believe and and why and purpose, sometimes I think it gets lost in translation. <clears throat> when I share this, this doesn't mean that why and purpose is not important. Why and purpose is so important. But I believe that everybody actually has an underlying burn. And it's that mm -hmm. burn that I'll explain that actually ignites why and purpose every day that causes you to be disciplined on the days that you don't want to do it and especially after you win. And that burn comes out in many different ways. So for me, a lot of my mentors and coaches, and I still have two coaches. I'm still reading books every day. I'm trying to figure out how I can get better every single day. So just because we do this work, no matter what sideline or boardroom we're in, like if we decide to stop growing, we can't help anybody continue to grow themselves. And so I have mm -hmm. to connect to my burn every day. I'm what my mentors and coaches call an old soul. I had to grow up fast. So yeah. my parents were divorced at six months old, never knew them together. My mother ended up passing away from a very rare muscle disease called amyloidosis 11 days before my eighth birthday. Angie, mm. we literally had 24-hour nursing care in our home. My mom would come to the dinner table with an IV stand, one foot in front of the other. Sometimes it took one nurse, sometimes it took two, just to ask me how my day was at school that day. Wow. So that was my perspective. Like, if my mom can do that, what tough day am I going to have? That's how I yeah. now as a seven-year-old boy, like your mom is literally dying before your eyes. She ends up passing 11 days before my eighth birthday. My father moves back into the house, 
drug addict, alcoholic, bipolar, manic depressive, everything under the sun. And I just turned eight years old. So here, like I had, I mean, life is just throwing it at me. And I've been blessed to have those mentors and coaches who helped me discover. And I now call it your burn. Mm. So my mother passed away at 38 years old. I'm 45. So I've been given seven extra years that my mother never got. So I'm not going to waste a day. That's my burn. So my Mm. burn is when I think of my mom and her example, and I write it in what I call a burn journal every day, Janet Fishman Newman legacy. I write it every day. What that means to me is that's my burn. I will not waste a day. And that burn is what ignites the why and the purpose and fuels everything else. So that's one example. So for many people, there's pain that provides perspective. There's pain where you were tested and realized my greatest strength actually came through my adversity. Mm -hmm. Other forms for the burn are sacrifice. Somebody may say, my mom and dad had three jobs each growing up and the sacrifice they made, I won't waste a day. So that's your burn. Like when I think of my parents' sacrifice, like I have to do it. So that might not be your why and your purpose, but that's what fuels you to say, I can't waste a day. Or maybe one of your listeners is currently sacrificing for somebody and you Mm. know that you're the example for that somebody. So you can't waste a day or live to your feelings and live to your excuses because then you're no longer the example. You're just a reflection of your feelings and your excuses, which is not going to lead anybody anywhere. So it comes out in different forms. But I believe that burn is what ignites the why and purpose. That's huge. And I mean, you had such a a powerful burn, I guess I would say, you know, and what you grew up with and and losing your mom at the young age and and your father coming back in. When did you realize that? I mean, I know you said you had coaches and mentors that helped you, but at what point did you kind of connect those dots and go, this is it? Well, I've always been an emotional guy. I mean, I cry when Mm. I watch extreme home makeovers. I mean, I cry like (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I could cry watching the Olympics. They show Angie Wisdom wins an Olympic gold and here's her story. And I'm just, I'm a mess. And, you know, my wife is like, are you crying again? And it's mm-hmm. just, that's the way that I've always been. And so for me, being that emotional person, I did always have a connection. I articulate it far different now as a 45 year old man. Mm. But even when I was seven, eight, nine, there was this connection to my mom, the the way that I missed her, the way that... I knew how important that relationship was, and I didn't get to have that relationship that my friends had. And so there were a lot of these mentors and coaches who were there. I didn't get all that love. I didn't get, I'm proud of you from my dad. Those weren't the things that I got from my dad. I got wounds from my father, and so I had to go find Mm -hmm. it other places. And a lot of times when I found it, there was this undertone of almost like my mom had sent that person to me. Like, how did this oh, work wow. out? Like, how am I so close with my basketball coaches? They're just they're just supposed to be yeah. my basketball coaches. And my two high school basketball coaches are characters in books that I've written. They travel with me to be on the sideline with me at football games. I mean, I played for them 30 years ago. I mean, it doesn't even make wow. sense. But I was always blessed to have those people who were there to highlight the importance of what now I, I reference as the burn. And it was almost like I, I've never felt alone. And then, of course, my spiritual faith over time in my life has helped me realize I really haven't been alone. Yeah. And it makes me think of something I read in your book, you know, having always that burn. And you talk about one point where you were having a rough patch in your career as a financial advisor and you had gone to your, you know, your mentor, your leader, uh, John, I believe his name was. And 
you you talk about just venting and you were like just putting it all out there and he asked you this question you know what would your i think he said what would your mother want you to do yeah and i mean it gave me goosebumps when i was reading it first of all but i'm curious like this happens we lose it in moments of like extreme turmoil like you were obviously frantic at that point in time you were putting it all out there but it had to have somebody asking you that question to snap you right back into it so you got that uh, you could see the emotion in my eyes and uh I, I wrote the book and john has meant so much to me but you know the what that lesson is a reflection of for everybody listening if if you're a coach you're raising your kids, right? In some form, you're a coach, whether you're leading your kids, your kids aren't going to call you coach, but you're coaching yeah. them to learn something, right? We're all a coach in, in some way. And the best coaches, and I learned this from John, they understand that everybody's wired different. Coaching mm -hmm. is not cookie cutter. And John, mm -hmm. so in, as a financial advisor in St. Louis, a lot of people don't know this part about my story. I was a top 1%. I say this not to impress anybody, to impress upon the point. I was in the top 1% of financial advisors in the world. And people thought I was crazy when I left to get into this business. And so I was part of an organization where we were number one in the country for a Fortune 100 financial firm out of St. Louis, Missouri. Like we're wow. beating New York, we're beating Chicago. It was unheard of because of John's leadership. So he knew to say to me that day, what would your mom want you to do? Because he knew that was my burn. He knew that like- yeah. If I get Ben to shift his perspective back to what's really important, his mother would say, are you really complaining about this? Son, go dial the phone. Like, get back to what yeah. you control. And literally, the meeting lasted three minutes. We each got 57 <laughs> minutes of our life back. And I look back on that, but that's how much he cared. And so I think as coaches yeah. and leaders, you can't lead everybody the same way. It's not the same messaging for every team. You have to care enough to figure out how that person's wired. And for me in our coaching work, that's been the burn because everybody's yeah. burn is different. So good. And I think that really tells people you got to write it somewhere. I mean, you talk about putting it in the burn journal every day, but put it on a post-it note, put it somewhere you can see it. Tell somebody that can ask you that question when you need it, because when we're in distress and when, you know, I don't even know how to explain it, but like in that moment, like you said, where you were just venting and everything was wrong, like somebody has got to be able to bring that burn back to you or you have to be able to see it and bring it back to yourself in order to get back into that space. And, and also as a coach, having that person who knows to ask you that question, but cares enough and is co courageous enough to ask the question. Yes. Yeah. As coaches, you know, we want all of our clients to be successful and everything is, is sunshine and rainbows and rosy. I literally got a phone call this morning with one of my uh, professional athletes. I'll, I'll leave it at that because people mm -hmm. are excited for the situation. But one of my professional athletes, devastating situation right now. Well, I have to ask the tough questions in order to make it uncomfortable to figure out, okay, what part of this is your responsibility? And what mm -hmm. are we going to do so that you own it moving forward to create new opportunity? It's not all just celebrating when things are going great. It's having a willingness to have those tough conversations. That's the real coaching. And so I think yeah. we have to meet people with challenge and be the ones who care enough to know those things so that we can challenge from a place of love. 
Absolutely. And it makes me think about, you know, the trust that we talk about and the honesty that you have to have with yourself, you know, you calling them to the table to say, what's your ownership in this? And, you know, what do we do about it? I'm laughing because my clients will say to me a couple of things. One, they say, you listen like a mom, but you deliver like a dad. Or they'll say, gosh, you're going for my jugular again. And it's it's meant in the sweetest way. way. It was so powerful. I loved it. But it's like, we have to do that because just, you know, rainbow and butterflies is not going to move the needle and people need someone to kind of hold them accountable at that level and call that out. So super important. Um, let's talk about your prize fighter day. This was, this was powerful to me when I was going through it and talking and reading about you saying, you know, attacking what you can control and leaving out kind of the uncontrollables. I think a lot of people look at what they're trying to accomplish in a day and they really focus on the results aspect of it from like what they can't control. Now, I don't even know if you know this, but I started my career in the financial investment industry at Morgan Stanley. Well, even before that at Morgan Stanley. Yeah. So I was a financial advisor and talk about gosh, controlling what you can and can't control, you know, in that environment, trying to get people to invest with you, trying to get more assets under management. If you measured your success like that on a daily basis, you're focused a lot on the uncontrollables. So talk a little bit about that. And it was just so powerful to me for people to realize, focus on the controllables in your day as the measurement. So let's start with uh, the word that you mentioned. And I, I love that in the description of a prize fight today, you said the word attacking. You know, mm-hmm. we currently live in a world where everybody wants to say, trust the process, right? Trust mm-hmm. the process is like that feel good statement. It's almost just if you trust it, it's going to be great, right? Angie and I are not going to get you anywhere if we say, just wake up, stare up at the sky, go ground your feet to the earth and just trust that it's going to work out. Mm-mm. It's not going to work <laughs> out that way. That might be part of your morning routine, but you better move from those aspects to actually what I call attacking the process. And so a prize fighter day are the daily decisions and choices that you can make personally, professionally, and in your service to others, broken up into categories. I know it's one of the things I love about Angie. We share this belief. You can actually be successful in multiple areas of your life at the same time. Mm -hmm. It's not, I just focus on my business and my family will come later. That is inexcusable. Mm -mm. Your family, if you love your family, then your family has to take precedent at all times. It's not when it's convenient, you love your family. And so the prize fighter day teaches personal professional of service to build those behaviors, disciplines, and processes that you can attack to move away from the naturalness, which is as an advisor, well, I can win the day if I bring in an account with a million dollars of assets under management. Okay. You cannot win based upon results. You win based upon the reverse engineering of how do I get a million dollar account? And then we repeat those behaviors over and over and over to create a pipeline of opportunity, which then yields that result at some point in time. But the behavior has to be performed every day. And then the byproduct at some point is the million dollar account or an insurance premium or whatever it might be. And too many people focus on that result rather than saying, what do I need to do today that generates the result? And so the prize fighter day teaches you to understand and identify the disciplines that'll create winning. 
Yeah. It just such a mindset shift for people because we get, and I know impatience, we're going to talk about that too, is a part of the process being patient, but you look for these results at million dollar account. I work with a lot of real estate people, right? They, they want the new client, the new opportunity. And so as soon as they're not getting it immediately, those actions get dismissed. Oh, it must not be working. You know, let's move on to something else. And you know, you get this argument, I feel like from people that go, well, you know, if it's not working, then why keep doing it? But there really is this process of if you can show up with integrity and at your highest self and just keep repeating that process, the results are going to come. Is that what you're saying? 100%. And especially if we take right now in the current state of the mortgage industry and the real estate industry, you have unrealistic expectations if you think you're going to have the same results that you had mm-hmm. in 2020 and 2021. That's not even realistic. So as coaches, we have to help people drive. I'm going to speed forward because you, you said the word. It's planted in my head. Yes. I, to use it. I call it aggressive patience. We have yeah. to teach those people that the work that you're doing today is not going to generate the results that you got in 20 and 21. So you actually have to be more committed to the process and more aggressively patient. And the money is probably not going to be the same. But here's a promise that Angie and I can make you. If you stay in the fight until fourth quarter, 2024, third quarter, hopefully, when we see a change in the environment in mortgage and real estate and rates go down and everybody's doing business with you again, do you realize that your aggressive patience to stay in the fight? Let's just use that fourth quarter. You'll make more money in that one fourth quarter than you made in the last two years combined. So you just have to have that aggressive patience to say, I may not feel the fruits of my work right now, but I'm going to feel it maybe with the best three month stint I've ever had in my entire career, which is then going to make 2025 your best year ever. But if you quit and you stop building the relationships or doing the work now, you'll never experience that fourth quarter. Mm-hmm. either. And the individuals in real estate and mortgage who stay in the fight, it's going to be unbelievable what they do in that one quarter or that two month period. It's going to be incredible. I love the way you put that. And I hope anyone who is in that field is is hitting the rewind and listening to that again, because it's so important. And we just, you know, people give up. They just don't see the results. They give up. And I say, this is that ideal time. This is like your gap up period, because so many people will tap out. They will get frustrated. They will make up every reason as to why it's the the market, the inventory, the rates. And while they're tapping out, you're continuing those efforts every single day, which is going to create those, you know, exponential numbers eventually at some point. But let's talk about the quality of work that needs to be done, because I think that's important. And when you have a relationship with yourself and you are in integrity with yourself, you know the kind of work that needs to be done. And this is where it kind of comes to the standards for you. If you're going to show up and you're going to execute every single day, you need to do it at that high level. And back to that, well, to answer the question directly, that this integrity piece, you may end up having to do things that you did when you were a rookie. So mm. like you sharing this, I'm actually thinking of somebody who's in the mortgage business, long-term friend of mine, client, and he went back to doing first-time homebuyer educational mm. programs on Saturdays, Angie. He hadn't done those things in years. Yeah, He had to look himself in the mirror and say, I'm willing to do that. 
because I'm not closing 50 loans per month right now like I once did or 60, yeah. 70. And that may not happen for a long period of time. So if 20 is a great month for me right now and I have to do things because the first time home buyer, it's somebody who's moving for a job. It's literally somebody who's buying for the first time. They don't care what the interest rate is. They need to get into that home. They're going to pay the higher interest rate knowing that they can refinance it later. They'll go through that financial pain in the short term. So he's now catering back to these people that he hadn't done loans with in years, but he knew what his standard was. And his standard was you find a way and it takes what it takes. And then Mm -hmm. when you have that mindset, you go back to some of those things that maybe you didn't want to be doing 20 years into the industry. But if you want to make money and continue to have an impact, you don't have a choice. That's the standard. It takes what it takes. Yeah. Taking the ego, the pride out of the equation right there. You have to. Yeah. You have to. I mean, I I had to. Now, I was a little bit uh, blessed. It was very unfortunate for a lot of my friends that are speakers. I've always done the coaching work. So I always did things over Zoom and I've always done group coaching and all kinds of things over Zoom. I always have. And Mm -hmm. so for me, what ended up happening was when Zoom happened, I was like open for business. But. My, there was no there was no speaking at somebody's event in person. Right. I, I had plenty of speak. You're sending speaking fees back. I mean, events are getting canceled. I never thought I'd see anything like it. I had friends who they never wanted to get into coaching. They never wanted to do things on a Zoom screen and their business completely shut down. It was like they were starting yeah. over. So I was blessed that I had these standards in different areas to where I was able to pivot and attack one because I knew one day events would be back. <clears throat> Yeah. So talk about that a little bit then, because now I hear you bringing in kind of that pivot and being able to be agile and move as needed. How do the standards kind of bring that into play for you? Well, so I've always had a belief. So I call them POCs. It's a point of contact. So I've taught sales Mm -hmm. training for I've been doing this work for over 18 years. And so sales training for me is almost two decades worth. And so I call it a point of contact. So when I first started in sales, it was like you're punching the rotary phone until your fingers are bleeding. Now, fast forward to today, text message, email, phone call, LinkedIn message. Those are all what I call points of contact. So however you generate the point of contact, that's you saying I'm open for business. That's what tells Mm -hmm. the world if it's 20 POCs a day, I don't care how you do them. Text, email, phone call, LinkedIn, Instagram, IG, whatever. That's I'm open for business. So sometimes you have to pivot. So part of my speaking business was closed. So there were no POCs. So I had to increase Mm. the number of points of contact or opportunities I needed to create for online opportunities. So now Mm. you're going back to these existing clients saying, have you thought about planning an online event? I've actually been doing it for over 10 years. I know some people are shying away from it. I can create an amazing experience online. Let's explore that road so that you still have coaching for your people during this trying time where it's needed more than ever. And they were like, yeah, I can't believe this. So I had to change my messaging, change my approach and change my points of contact to creating more work online. And for me, Angie, I think it comes natural because I'm on a sideline during football season every weekend. And so when you're in the middle of a football game, there's audibles that are called all the time. All of a sudden, the quarterback comes up. He says, oh, my gosh, the defense knows what we're about to run. I'm going to call an audible. I'm calling another play. That's all I've ever known. You adapt, adjust, and attack. And so I think for all of us, just because something doesn't happen the way that you want it to, don't give up. Like, find a way. 
You just have to find a way. And if your standard is, I'm not going to let something hold me back. And your standard is that your burn is so significant that COVID is not worse than me watching my mother come to the dining room table with an IV stand when she's dying before my eyes as a seven-year-old boy. I think I can find a way to create business. And that's, that's the extreme use. I know it's tough on the ears, but that's the reality of how I process and attack when things don't go my way. Yeah, you're reading my mind as soon as you said being on the sidelines, because that's the first thing I thought of was this seems like something that is so natural for you and coaching on the sidelines that you have to adapt. You cannot stay stuck in the same plan that isn't working. And that adaptability is huge. It's the only way. I mean, I, I've been blessed in the world of college football to work with the two winningest college football coaches over the last 15 years. I worked for Coach Saban for five years and two national championships at Alabama. And I'm, a, I'm in my ninth season with Coach Kleiman at Kansas State. And these guys have won more football games. If these guys never called audibles, never adjusted, never paid attention to what was going on in the game, and they were just so stubborn to say, no, this is the way I saw it before the game started. We're going to do it this way. You would lose. They wouldn't be the winningest coaches. Yeah, They're that way because they can see something, get the personnel that's going to make the adjustments, and then go attack it and win. That's part of life. You have to be willing to adapt and make those adjustments. Mm. What do you think from a mindset perspective, because you see this in athletes all the time as you're working with them, what do people need to embrace from a mindset perspective to be able to adapt like that so quickly? Well, it's kind of like it, it, Coach Kleiman always says, so what, now what? You know, if you're faced with a situation, mm. they figure out what you're doing. So what, now what? You're going to quit? You can just go to the yeah. referee and say, hey, we're not going to play the rest of the game. You know, this first 25 minutes didn't go the way we wanted. So you don't really have a choice. And so if you approach it to say, I don't have I don't have a choice, then you revert back to your training and your training better have been training that didn't focus on doing things one way. It's doing things multiple ways. Mm. So when that quarterback calls an audible, you adjust. If he may call a second, a third, a fourth audible, you know the playbook. You go and run different plays. If you only knew one play, you would never be prepared. So a lot of it you better be prepared for the different things that can happen before they happen. I've also have been, been blessed to learn so much from friends in the Navy SEAL community. When Navy SEALs, right, those are some of the toughest human beings walking mm -hmm. the face of the earth. When they go and they get dropped in compromised territory, there's not one plan. There's a primary plan, a secondary plan, a tertiary plan, and then a plan B that has a primary plan, a secondary plan. I mean, there's all these different evolutions of what might happen once they're deployed into that field of combat, because it doesn't always go the way. Think of when mm. the chopper landed and, you know, basically the, you know, basically the chopper was destroyed when they're going to kill Osama bin Laden. That didn't work out. They immediately had to go to the secondary plant. They still completed the mission of killing bin Laden and a new set of choppers came in. They didn't abort the mission. And so I think there's so many things that we see in life. And sometimes I don't think Angie, people slow down enough to say, okay, take a deep breath. What's the perspective shift? I've been through worse. I can have intentional yeah. focus on this problem. And we like get so overwhelmed that we can't even get our way out of harm's way. And then we, yeah. just, so many people choose to do nothing and doing nothing just can't be acceptable. That's, that's not living to the standard. Mm -mm, not at all. It makes me, as you say this, this, so what now, what 
it makes me think of the emotional side of it. And I'm like you, I'm emotional. I don't know how you do the coaching of the sports because every time somebody would score a touchdown, I'd be like in tears, super emotional from that perspective. (laughs) When they come out on the field, forget it. But, you know, that's one set of being emotional, but I'm talking about taking things so emotionally and it almost like gets you stuck. And I see that a lot. And when you said, so what, it almost makes me think like people need to embrace that. Like all of a sudden, when you feel, you know, put out, when you feel a victim to something, when you feel triggered or, you know, someone's done something to you, it's like, so what? Now what? You know, I love that kind of just easy phrase to put you right back into what are you going to do about it? And so, so once you say that, the next mental training tool that I teach athletes all the time, as well as business professionals, I call it neutral thinking. Mm-hmm. So just as you made the reference, if you were on the sideline and you'd get so high on the touchdown, it would cloud everything else. Like, yes, we're all excited on the sideline when somebody scores a touchdown, but we'll, you'll see us on the sideline. If you ever watch me run up and down the sidelines on TV, if the camera pans me after a touchdown, a lot of times I'm saying, stay neutral, stay neutral, stay, which means mm-hmm. we got to go play defense now. And offense, yeah. like that wasn't your last drive of the game. You got to keep it neutral figure out what's working and you got to be ready for the next play. So it's this constant stay neutral and staying neutral means we're not going to get too high. We're not going to get too low. It doesn't mean you're not going to experience emotions in a football. Sure. You experience the emotions, but we have to learn to control the emotions and do our best to stay in that neutral state. So you can attack the next six seconds, which is how long a play lasts in a football game. So if we just attack the next six seconds, it doesn't matter that I scored a touchdown on the last play. doesn't matter. I think I might score a touchdown on a play that's designed for the fourth quarter. I need you to focus right here on what's in front of you. And that's that neutral, intentional focus state. Mm. And it's now you're, critical. Now you're really getting into the nitty gritty of my work. <laughs> I am. I love it. And I know the people listening are loving it too. And what's kind of coming up for me is the fact that in that situation, right, there's no, there's no choice. There's no extra time to, you know, get out of that neutral stance and, and blow plays or anything. And the same thing from a Navy SEAL perspective, but people on a day-to-day business, day-to-day basis that are in their business, it's like, we have this extra time. And I think that's where people maybe kind of get off course because it's not so critical in that split second. And like you said, they don't even realize it. You know, you're not even present enough to go. What do I need to do to adjust here? So let's take, let's take a look at this example. Let's call it the proverbial touchdown for a financial advisor that you and I work with. Right. So all of a sudden we're working with them on focusing on the process standard over feelings they're they're they've got their pocs and things are really Mm -hmm. going well one of my favorite questions to ask high performers and and i like using financial advisors because of our background and and who we coach as well Mm -hmm. but this applies to everybody how do you show up after you win so let's take the example of winning far too often you get that two million dollar account five million dollar account and you say this came in on tuesday I'm good. Like that's mm-hmm. enough for the week. If I so you, we start playing these buying games. If I brought in a five million dollar account every week, that'd be twenty million dollars every month. That'd be two hundred and forty million dollars a year. Do you know what my quarterly GDCs would be? I would do whatever I wanted to do, travel wherever I want to go. I don't need to work the rest of the week. And you and I get puzzled as coaches, saying, right. "What are you doing? <laughs> like, don't stop! Like, when you have that momentum, that's yeah. you got to keep it neutral." You got to realize that one phone call you did today when they said they're bringing in the account, it took you six months to get the account. 
So if you stop mm-hmm. working today, you're not creating the next cycle for the next $5 million account, which might take six months or a year to get that account. So you have to do the work today. We cannot be seduced by success. And far too often, I see individuals in all walks of life, sports, business, they get seduced by success and they stop doing what caused the success. And then if that person, and I know you'll be mad at me advisors for me to say this example, (laughs) you get the $5 million account on Tuesday and all of a sudden they talk to Uncle Johnny on Thursday and Uncle Johnny goes, what advice did that Angie Wisdom give you? I don't really know about that. And on Friday, you get a call that says, hey, can you hold that paperwork off? Not sure I'm going to move forward with the transfer of those assets. And then you decided to go on a vacation that wasn't planned Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, because you sold an account that now on Friday isn't even an account anymore. And Mm -hmm. I know that's a hard example, but those are the tough conversations that I know Angie's having with those of you that are listening that are clients. Like, how does he know this much about Angie? Well, it's like, well, I read her book and I love her book. Okay. That's why. And so it's, those are the things I know you coach that way. I coach that way. And I believe as leaders and coaches, Angie, if this isn't the way we show up and we don't help people see these things they don't see, they do celebrate for far too long. They celebrate victories for far too long and they take vacations that aren't supposed to be vacations. I'm all for vacation, but my vacations are planned out. This is when we go, regardless of ups and downs in the business. These are the weeks I'm going to take off with the family. This is when I'm going to take off for the holidays. But I don't go celebrate and take an unnecessary vacation because I did something that I was supposed to do. Yeah. Showing up and working. And so I, I think this is a concept. I don't know your thoughts on it, but far too many people get seduced by success these days. No, I 100% agree with you. I, I'm a big believer that you have to acknowledge your wins and, you know, that builds the confidence. It builds our belief that we can continue to do something. But as far as tapping out and hitting that pause button, because you've already hit your goal or, you know, you did something bigger than you thought you could do before. I mean, it's a recipe for volatility and, you know, that lack of belief in yourself. So, no, that's, I'm right there with you. That's the perfect word. That is a recipe for volatility. That's exactly what it does. And, yeah. And that's self-induced. Mm-hmm. It you're is. creating that. Like you're cre- If you're experiencing what I shared, and then Angie said it more succinctly than I did, you are <laughs> producing volatility in your business and it's unnecessary. Because if Angie and I said to you, hey, would you love to have volatility in your business? You'd say, yeah. what the hell do I want volatility in my business for? <laughs> you wouldn't welcome that, yet we create it. Yeah. Every sales, you know, business out there, you know, mortgage, real estate, financial advisors, anybody who's bringing in these clients and going through these cycles. And I hear it all the time. They're like, I just want more stability and security. My business is so volatile. It's like, well, let's take a look at the actions you've been taking on a consistent basis. And as soon as all that wealth comes in or wealth of business, then all of a sudden, you know, you take your foot off the gas and that's what produces the volatility. It makes me think of um, something I read in your book about the unrequired. And I want you to talk about a little bit about that first, and then I'll ask you a question about it. But this unrequired work, it seems like it goes in line with that, right? Like you did the required work, did that goal, but... Yeah, the, uh, the unrequired for me is really what I've found to be the secret of the highest performers. And the definition of the unrequired are the things that other people can't see. They don't want to talk about. They're certainly not going to do them that the highest performers choose to make a priority. So mm-hmm. very simply put, 
if you were to design a prize fighter day and you were to say 20 POCs per day to create a pipeline, which generates opportunity to go get these accounts, 20 POCs a day is my very best. And you could look yourself in the mirror and say, if I do that every day, nobody can ever take that away from me. And if I stack days of that behavior, I will win long-term. That's your very best. That 20 is what's required of you. The unrequired is typically just a math problem. I always recommend 10%. You add 10% to that number. So now the 20 becomes 22. The psychology of this is it actually is the complete opposite of the seduction of success. Because if you're experiencing those wins, there's a lot of days you never even get to the 20 because you're bringing in accounts. But if you believe in doing the unrequired, it doesn't matter what happens in those 20 because you're going to do the extra two and you can't do the extra two until you've done the 20. So it actually mm-hmm. increases the average of what's required of you because the only way you can do the unrequired is by doing what's required. So it almost creates absolute certainty in the things that are 100 percent in your control that you control them, attack them and actually do them. And that's a math problem that becomes very hard to beat. Mm, so good. And you know what's so interesting about that is as I was reading it, I'm like, I think you are, your mindset is one or the other. You are either so intrigued by this and empowered and like, oh, yeah, I am going to do what other people are not doing. Or you're like, oh, that sounds exhausting. Like, I don't want to do more than I have to do. You know, I mean, they that is a differentiating mindset. Nuts. He's got screws right. loose. I don't know what's wrong with him. I do hear that from time to time as well. But like, to me, that fires me up. I'm like, because most people, if you say like, hey, are you good with being average? They're not. They don't want to be average, but you have to be willing to do the work that puts you above average, that unrequired. And what was really interesting to me is the way you phrased it going, you know, some people may not be up for this or, you know, they may think I'm crazy for having to do this extra work. But the thing is, is that if you stop doing the norm, the norm of worrying too much, the norm of being overly emotionally involved, the norm of being on social media, like the norm of what most people in society do, you have the time to do the unrequired. It doesn't have to like push other things out of your life. And think about it. You've already scheduled the time to do it, right? So if you put 20, you scheduled the time to do 20. You don't put five minutes on your calendar for doing something that you know takes an hour. So you're probably going to yeah. have 30 minutes here, 30 minutes there. It's that people choose to not do it because they won. So if you've already scheduled the time and all Angie and I are asking you to do is add 10%, which is two. So what's going to take you an extra two or three minutes? Like you have Mm -hmm. the time. There's really no excuse unless you just decide you don't want it that bad. And I tell people all the time, I'm not for everybody. The level of intensity, the coaching, the level of detail, the intentional focus. Some people are like, that's too much. I don't want to go. And that's why I don't coach everybody. I only coach the people that I coach because I'm not for everybody. And that's okay. But you have to choose how bad you want it and where you want to go and what your standards are. Yeah. And I just want to say, it's not that much more. You all do it. Just do it. (laughs) What you get from that is huge from a confidence perspective, from a belief, mental toughness. It makes me think of 75 hard, right? Doing these things that are uncomfortable and that are hard and you may not feel like you have the time for it. It's like push yourself. You get uncomfortable and you really move that needle. All good, good stuff. I could carry on this conversation for hours, which is why I'm now going to 
put it out there that you are coming live and in person to join me for the Get Intentional event in March. I Don't wanted to have I'm you on the podcast because in I March yeah. and you're leaving me at home in this freezing cold weather in St. Yeah. Louis. Like I need some of that. <laughs> Just send me some of that weather until I get it in March. It's still got to be cold in St. Louis in March, right? I mean, you're escaping yes, some it, cold. It, like, it, just when I'm in the middle of it now, like I just all I can think about is that perfect weather that I can't wait to be with every single one of your guests in that beautiful weather with all of your energy and all your speakers energy. It's just going to be awesome. It's going to be amazing. I wanted people to hear you, you know, on this podcast to experience some of your energy and some of your, you know, your insights, your wisdom, what you do with people on the football field, in their office, in their life is just it's life changing. And to see that on a daily basis, you sharing that on Instagram or your podcast is super inspiring. And I want people to feel that and understand how much potential they have if they lay into that standard. So I am so grateful for you. Yes. Yes. I, I love being on zoom. I love doing interviews and but there's just something about being together in person. Oh. And so for me, it's just special. And I know one of the things that you've done is to create so many different experiences that we'll have together based upon where people are at in their journeys. Yeah, but I promise you, no matter what experience is right for you, like I can't wait because I'm telling you in person, this vein starts to pop a little bit different. And uh, I'm telling you, like, I'm going to touch your heart. I'm going to speak into your like, I just I love that opportunity. And just like Angie always promises you, I'm going to challenge you a little bit too, but you're going to realize when we have this opportunity to be together in person, it's going to come from a place of love and we're all going to get better together. And I'm going to learn from everybody that comes to that event as well. So I, I can't wait. Like I said, I, I want the warm weather now. And uh, I guess I have to have some <laughs> aggressive patience. That's right. <laughs> you do. You do. And you stole my line. I was just going to say, you guys have to see him in person because the vein pops out at that point in time. <laughs> but he truly is. Um, I just want to thank you because as a speaker, when somebody comes to see you, you take the time, you actually do care. And going back to the very beginning of this podcast, when you said it's about relationships, you show that when you meet people and you spend time with them. And not all coaches do that. Not all speakers do that. They come in and they entertain and they inspire for a day and, and that's it. But you truly, you know, leave a mark on people's heart and make a difference. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Angie, for today. Thank you for the opportunity to come in March. I, I, I can't wait for it all. Absolutely. And one last plug. I just want to show people this is the standard you all get the book. I mean, it, it is it's simple and powerful. You know, you can read it and, and literally put things into action that same day of what you're reading and it will make a difference. So, Ben Newman, thank you so much. And I look forward to seeing you in March. Thank you to you and to all your listeners. And I can't wait as well. Hey, thanks for tuning in today. I hope you found your dose of wisdom for the day. And remember, just don't take it in, live the wisdom and share the wisdom. If you like this episode, give us a like below and comment. Let me know what you think. If you want to be sure to catch all the episodes of Sharing Wisdom, hit that follow button. If you want more of Angie Wisdom, you can go to AngieWisdom.com and sign up for Words of Wisdom or follow me over on YouTube and Instagram at Angie Wisdom Life Coach. 